The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. Hello. A wise man once said that he loved the desert because it was clean. A place with no memory, where you can leave your life behind, start again, and become the person you truly are. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and civil engineering pornocrat, and you're listening to Cinema Limbo. This evening's film is Japanese Story, the 2004 Australian drama starring Tony Collette, and I'm joined by Chris Arnsby a man who knows the true meaning of spoilers. Listeners are very strongly recommended to watch the film before listening, as this podcast contains major spoilers throughout, which may impede your enjoyment. Hello, Chris. Hello. Now, all things being equal, I'm hoping that this is being released in February, the month of romance. Okay, I can... That makes perfect sense, yes. So, um, what could be more romantic than... Australia, hmm. the beautiful, unspoilt, natural landscape of back where God was a boy. Filled with all manner of horrible, poisonous animals just waiting to inject you with venom exactly. or lay eggs on you or whatever it is that they do. It's creation's first draft. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Um, but um, I chose a film called Japanese Story which I saw in the cinema when it came out in 2004. And it made it... I, I remember liking it when I saw it. Mm. And then watching it again, I think I liked it an awful lot more this time. I was genuinely surprised by this one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think of the various different films that I've watched over the course of this podcast, this has had the most emotional impact on me. I was really surprised. It is an emotional movie, mm. more so than any that we've watched. Now, the problem here, listener, is that... Um, the movie's plot is such that if we are going to talk about it in any level of detail, we're going to be spoiling it if you haven't seen it. And I really do recommend watching this. I think we both really do Mm. recommend this very highly. Um, He's nodding. Yeah, no, sorry, yes, yeah. Sorry, I forgot forgot we were on audio for a second there. Um, Yeah, um, things happen, and to have the proper impact, you need to not know about the things that happen. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's easily available on DVD. Um, it might be on streaming services. Yeah, it's not on yeah. Netflix in the UK at the moment. Though. It's on Amazon. I streamed it from Amazon. Well, there we are. Um, but it's very, very highly recommended. Mm. So if you haven't seen it so far, pause this, get hold of a copy, watch it, and then come back again, because we're going to talk about it. Yeah. And, um, it's, and it's real good. Yes. And so's this podcast. <laughs> okay, now that... Now that the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 now that the neophytes have left the room. Yes, yeah. Um, now, we haven't really covered, really talked about Australian cinema at all. And when I say we, I mean all the other guests as well. <laughs> yes, I mean, uh, I haven't seen Young Einstein. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> it's Tasmanian. I have seen Crocodile Dundee. How many Crocodile Dundee films have you seen? I think I saw two of them. So the one I haven't seen is the third one? The, in Logically, yes. That yeah, would be correct. Yeah. Well, I couldn't remember if there were three. or I remember that there was one that How Did This Get Made covered, I think. Yes, I it was Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, yeah. which I saw many years later. And it's not very good. <laughs> so, obviously, I have a very extensive knowledge of Australian yeah. cinema. Well, we're presumably all familiar with directors like George Miller. Oh, yes, of course. Mad Max movies and Happy Feet and the other mm. bizarre zigzags on his CV. Um, Peter Weir. Refresh my memory. Um, Gallipoli. Oh, right. Hanging Rock. Dead Poet Society. Oh. Master and Commander. Yeah, yeah. Much more on the artier end. Yes, yeah. I would say. But a very interesting director. And they, they both came out of the new wave of Australian cinema in the mid 70s. Um, or you could just do weird stuff. The, mm. the government just seemed to give people money to make weird films. Yes. <laughs> Wake and Fright, I think we've spoken about before. 
as well. Quite possibly, yeah. It doesn't really. I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed to say that I haven't seen a single Peter Weir film, but really? I've heard of them. I know. How I know. Society. It kind of passed me by. I think I read the Mad Magazine spoof of it. Does that help? I don't think so. Okay. Um, which other Peter Weir film might you have seen? Um, Probably none of them. Did any of them involve aliens hitting each other? I don't think so. No. Well, depends how you interpret the ending of Picnic at Hanging Rock. <laughs> okay, wow. I guess I might have to add that to my list. Um, oh, I've seen Dot on the Kangaroo. That's not a Peter Weir film. No, no, but it is an Australian <laughs> film. I remember it's an Australian film because it's got a song about the bunyip in it that scared me at the time. Well, um, Japanese story is confusingly an Australian movie. Mm. Um, written by Alison Tilson, directed by Sue Brooks. And for both of them, it's pretty much the only major credit on their CV. So the only project of theirs that has resonated, shall we say. Yeah, I'm surprised about that. Mm. I, I, I'm just, as you say, you saw this when it came out at the time. It got a very favourable favorable review by Roger Ebert. I'm just surprised it didn't get more attention. Yeah, it did get a, a reasonable bit of traction at sort of film festivals and among critics. but um, And it, it swept the board at several uh, Australian mm. film awards. So it's almost unanimously regarded as the best film of the year, best actress, best yeah. director, best screenplay, and um, best either actor or supporting actor for Gotaro Tsunashiro. Hang on a minute. Yes. For Gotaro Tsunashima. Sorry, listen, I had to take several run-ups at that. I'm, <laughs> with my feeble Western education, I apologise. And it's, it's a film about contrasting culture. Yes. That's kind of how it, I, I thought it was going to be. At the start, I almost thought it was going to be a reverse Crocodile Dundee, in a way, in that somebody unfamiliar with Australian culture comes to Australia right. and has, uh, I don't know, a mismatched you know, holiday romance or something. Mm. Um, I think it's fair to say that not, not knowing anything about it in advance, I went into it with a, probably the wrong set of, uh, wrong set of ex- expectations. Well, I would say that's good, though, because you really didn't know what you were going to get. No. And, to I mean, I, I'm fairly sure that I implied to you that it was a romance of some sort. I think so. I think somewhere along the line I just decided it was going to be a sort of road movie and they were yeah. going to fall in love and, you know... But the two mismatched... Exactly, yeah. ...find common ground. Yeah. And it does develop along those lines for the first... Three, three quarters. Quite. For the first yeah. half or so. Um, with uh, Hiro, the Japanese business executive, coming to Australia mm. to investigate mining operations on behalf of his company. And it's never, it's never entirely clear why he's here, or did I misinterpret this bit? You, you get a few phone calls where he's on the phone back to somebody at his office, and the impression you get is that There just seems to be some question about exactly what he's come out to do. Well, the feeling that I got is he is there as part of some kind of business deal. Yeah. But he has in some way extended his trip. Yeah. And that he's trying to avoid going home. Yeah, I think that's it. I definitely got the impression there was some sort of ulterior motive there. And he does talk on the phone several times to his friend, hmm. whom we never see or hear, but he's, he's on the other end of the line, and <laughs> so slags off his um, guide, yes, basically yeah. to her face, but in Japanese. Yeah, and I think that's the one time we get subtitles as well, isn't it? Because yeah. for the rest of the film, we're just as, we're, we're left in the same mystery as to what he's saying on the phone, except for that one very specific time when they want us to know. And I think he says that she's horrible and loud, is I think. He says that she's loud and she's got a big ass. Yeah, that was it. And blue eyes. <laughs> oh, yeah, and he looks, yeah, he looks right into her face. And yeah. Says, yeah, blue eyes. Mm. And she finds that really weird. Yeah. Because it is... I mean, I think by Japanese standards, that's probably a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. And I don't... I... It's not terribly polite to lean into someone's face for mm. no reason. Um, but his, his guide or his babysitter is Sandy... A geologist for the mining company, played by Tony Collette, mm. 
Australia's secret acting weapon, uh, the Kate Blanchett that people know people don't talk about. <laughs> yes. Um, and she's fairly outraged that she's basically babysitting a yeah. visitor. Yeah, she doesn't want to be there. Um, she doesn't. She's very much involved in her work. Mm. Um, her flatmate says that while she's eating with one hand and uh, working with the other, that she, even when she's there, she's not there. Yeah, that was the. It's always that interesting thing when you when you're at the start of a film and you're not quite sure what to expect. I thought that that line was a little bit too on the nose at first because I thought that was going to kind of be the message of the film was that. I don't know, she travels Australia and views it through a fresh set of eyes and learns to live in the moment or something like that. As we shall see, my expectations were confounded a little bit. Yeah, and she never, she never really learns much from her environment. No. Because she's a geologist, she's been out in, these, in this wilderness in the outback and she's yeah. familiar with it. And she has, as we see later, she has knowledge of this, of the practicalities mm. of it, that other people don't have. So she's already comfortable in that environment. But she lives in the city because that's where the work is. Yeah. And it's convenient. And she lives near her mum. But I liked at the beginning where she's cooking and she just makes beans on toast. Yeah. The most basic, simple child meal that you can. And she's just eating beans on toast while carrying on working. Yeah, yeah. There's not not much going on there. I think she had a relationship with her boss at work at one point didn't she because there's some line there about which she's talking to a co-worker sorry we're both frantically <laughs> oh Bill Bill that's it Bill yeah. yeah her her boss who he he could have been a caricature mm. I felt and he's actually a nice yeah. decent guy and he's later, later in the movie and this, this is where we're going to really break into spoilers mm. where he's he's he understands that there's something wrong, that something has happened, and that she has taken Hero's death much harder than the, she, she ought to, given that she was just a guide. Um, he's trying to be yes. um, kind and empathic, but there is a certain he's sort of holding back as well because, oh yeah, as yeah, you, as you said, you know, he, she, he's aware of what yeah it's a very it's a very well judged performance because he does play that mixture of i suppose confusion and irritation that you want to be sympathetic but you're also aware that you're the manager of a company and somebody's left you in a professional mess yeah uh yeah it's 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 a it's a very you know it, it's for a small part it's a very good performance hmm. um matthew why does everyone have names that I find hard to pronounce if you will do these exotic foreign films Matthew Diktinsky and Hero was introduced mm. driving through the desert already in Australia and he stops and takes a picture of himself and he just puts the camera on top of the car sets the timer going and then just stands by the side of the road very stiffly mm. arms by his sides blank expression it's the most sort of it's the most Japanese yes because I find that he and Sandy are really both stereotypes yes. of their national character because he's very stiff, very formal, very polite, and she's very loud and opinionated and not obnoxious, but I can understand why other people would think that yeah. she was. Yeah, yeah, you you she could be quite grating. I think yeah. there's there's a few points when She's like those people who are great company for two hours and then after that it's too much. Yeah. This is why I try and keep these podcasts under two hours. <laughs> <laughs> seems, seems reasonable. I'm thinking of you, listener. Yeah. I'm thinking of your welfare. It's, yeah, it's, it's just neat sketches. Yes, yeah, yeah. Very, very nice thumbnail sketches. You know, without ever knowing what he's in the country for exactly, you know where he's coming from. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and as I say, the setup is there for what seems like it's going to be a quite, you know, quite acceptable little romantic comedy or something. Yeah. They even have, what's the term, a meet-cute, don't they? Because he's waiting at the airport and she turns up in a van and he seems to think that she's the driver or something. Because, yes, he refers to her as a driver yeah. a number of times. Because she basically is. She, that's why she's so annoyed that yeah. she's been given this job because she's far too qualified for it. Yeah, it doesn't... Someone else had to drop out and there was... I, 
I think there's supposed to be someone else coming from Japan as well, mm. maybe from like the Japanese side of their company. Um, so he gets in the back of the truck yes, and just leaves his luggage there for her to pick up. Yeah, and then she tries to cram it into the. Uh, she tries to put it awkwardly into the back of the van, I think, doesn't she? Yeah. Which actually, now I come to say that, has a very unfortunate echo later on in the film. Oh, yes, where she's trying to. Uh, yes, well, we'll come to that. We, we, we can say it. We've, we've I suppose this is true. Where, yeah, where, where she's trying. To, that, that long sequence where she's trying to get his body into the back of the truck. It's it's, a, it's it's hard. Yeah, yeah, genuinely. It's it's a very grim sequence and it could in the wrong hands it could be funny. And there was I think possibly because it's a bit of an emotional shock, I was watching it and thinking, Oh, this is the point where the film turns into weekend at Bernie's <laughs> <laughs> Um But no, I mean that kind of stupidity aside it's yeah that's a that's a horrible sequence and it just goes it's relentless as well because it just it doesn't stop and it it's 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 like it's trying to force the viewer to experience the same horror that uh, sandy is going through it's just yeah. this grim sequence that just keeps going they get to the, they get to the mine and the staff there have all they've all practiced already they know that mm. the um the almost ceremony of very polite the Bow, handing over the business Yeah, card. with both hands, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which Sandy is completely, either completely unaware of or doesn't care. Yes. Because <laughs> she just rocked up in her car. Mm. Um, and the level of conversation between her and Hero at the start as well is very, very limited. Where I think she's trying to make conversation and he just answers everything with, hey. Yes, that's right, yeah. And I think then... Sorry, I, if I'm a little bit vague on the details, it's because I watched this film a week ago, and that's a long time by my standards. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it's uh, he's obsessed with going further and further into into the heart of Australia because at one point he picks up a chunk of rock and makes some comment about, oh, we must go and see where this came from or something. Yeah, and that's one of the things that really upsets Sandy is the fact that she wants this to just be a very straightforward. Take him there, take him out, and it keeps getting more and more. It turns, from her perspective, it turns into more and more of a road trip because he just seems to be obsessed with these old rocks. Yeah. But in a in a way that goes beyond just their mineral value. That whether, and again, the, the nice thing is there's so much about the character that's just kind of unexplained. We don't really know why he's there in Japan, uh, why he's there in Australia. We don't really know what he's looking for. But there's a sense that he almost finds something. Sp- spiritual in the age of the rocks or something like that well he does say that he he finds Australia really alien to him because yeah. it's so massive and so empty and there are so few people mm. and uh, Japan is the other way around yes. that it's very much smaller but filled with people and I think there's a mention as well that his father is the CEO of the company yes. so He's trying. It's like he's trying to run away from mm. his birth, his birthright, maybe his responsibility. Yeah, his family as well, because we find out that he has a wife and children. Yes, he. It's almost. I. I got the impression that he's seizing on this. Oh, this rock. Oh, now this is an excuse for me to. Keep yeah, saying, that's oh, true. Go find out where this is. Yeah. Rather than some journey into the heart of Australia, I think yeah. it's just he's just trying to put off going <laughs> home. Yeah, well, that's true. It could well be that he wants. He wants to keep away from the path that has been mapped out for mm. him. Yeah, which makes makes sense, of course. And there's, uh, there's at least one shot where they're driving down the road, and I think they do the, the Jaws reverse dolly shot. But in this case, what it does is it, it stretches the scenery out, and it suddenly makes you realise just what a big country Australia is. Yeah, um, and, and it's, yeah. It's, it's hard for me as a European, I think, to comprehend how huge Australia yeah. is and how empty it is. I mean, maybe 95% of it is uninhabited. I, I wouldn't like to guess, as I say, my... But that's the impression I get. I mean, that's, yeah. probably, that's probably a long way out. I think everybody lives around the coast except for a few hardy souls that live in Alice Springs in the middle. That's, yeah. my, lim- that's my limited understanding of it. Well, that's also like Brazil. 
Yeah, I suppose that's true. Why would, why they would put the capital right in the middle of the jungle where no one goes? Yes, who knows? Because yeah. uh, well, Australia has a purpose-built capital as well. It does, yeah, yeah. Which I think Jasper Carrot once described as the most boring city on earth. Speaks of a man who's never been to Milton Keynes. <laughs> well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> so I went to Milton Keynes once had to change trains there, and it was very foggy, and I thought, wow, this must be exactly what East Germany looked like. Mm. While, they're, they're, while they're touring around the... Um, well, the, the rock works yes. of, the, of the mining plant. Um, here is really impressed by it all, but there is the language barrier that mm. the the staff are trying to explain their their business to him, and you get a sense he doesn't. He's maybe not fully comprehending what's going on. There's one guy that's just talking, isn't it? Oh, we can cut so many cubic million feet of rock, and yeah. we can process. And it's weird because. It's just noise. It's obviously his his spiel that he gives to everybody, and it's yeah. in, in its own way it's kind of funny because he gives the impression that he's even boring himself. That every <laughs> every time there's visitors, it's a, okay, and this machine can do this. But there's some terrific civil engineering porn, for want of a better phrase, in it. There's, there's lots of big earth moving mm, machinery <laughs> and lots of hoppers dropping rocks. Yeah, if you if you like that kind of stuff, it that that's a really nice sequence because there's just all this machinery doing stuff but have a scene after where Sandy goes to the beach there's a beach nearby mm. she's just going there just to chill and relax and she's reading a book about Japanese and then Hero appears strips down to his underpants very neatly folds up his clothes and then goes off into the water for a swim and there's a, bit, there's a sense there of the female gaze because she, yes. she watches him as he's getting undressed that's an, an interesting reversal to what we normally get yeah there's a sex scene a bit later on as well. And that's interesting as well because he takes what could be seen as the female role in that he lies there. He's the most he, he just lies there, actually. And she initiates everything. In fact, she she walks over and she puts on his trousers, I think, doesn't she? Yes. Yeah. I, don't, I, I can't offer any explanation for that. That, th- that that just that goes beyond my uh, the boundaries of my knowledge and understanding. I think it's just one of those things. It's just one of those stupid things that people do, where it, it, when you're caught up in the moment, it seems funny, it seems sexy, it looks odd on the screen. But then again, it's probably meant to. You know, I think it, I think it's just you know if it was. If it was in, a, if it was part of a relationship, it would become part of the mythology of a relationship. It would be one of those things that both people remember. Oh, do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. It's. It's. It, I mean, it is because they do start as, as I said, they start as stereotypes, but mm. they, those break down, and their their archetypes break down. She becomes much more introspective. Like in the last half of the movie, or the last third of the movie, she really doesn't speak very much. No, what you mean after the death? After the death, oh, certainly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, so she certainly becomes a lot not quieter, but... So, I'm t- trying not to use the word softer, because... but that... No, she never, she never softens. No. But she becomes... Less abrasive? Less stereotypically yeah. less stereotypically Australian. Yeah, that might be. A less abrasive, I think, is a much better way of turning it that's also less insulting. And he becomes much more uh, demonstrative and much more open. Yes, Particularly yeah. the, the, once they're out of the desert and they go and have a meal together, just sitting in a diner and talking, they're both much more animated mm. because the, the ice between them has been broken. And he's really chatty and his English is actually fairly good. Yes. Good enough for a conversation. And you can see them, that, that bond is already yeah. very powerful between them. Yeah, yeah, you can see the warmth of the relationship developing. You can see, as you say, his body language changes from being very stiff and very formal and very businesslike. It becomes more relaxed. Yeah, you know, it's it, but it never, it never feels unnatural. It, feel, you know, you do feel like you're genuinely watching a developing relationship. Yeah. Um, and obviously, this all comes in the wake of the sequence where they drive out into. Uh, the Australian desert, and they get stuck in yeah. some sand, don't they? And that was the point when... I, I, have you seen the trailer? The, the trailer for this film is available on YouTube, and it's interesting the way that they seem to choose to edit the trailer, because it kind of makes it clear that something terrible happens, but the way the trailer's edited makes it look like something terrible happens 
when they go out into the when they get stuck in the desert. Right. It's just an interesting little piece of misdirection. That's interesting. The trailer's actually on the DVD. Oh, well, okay. I didn't watch it because I thought, well, it's the trailer. But I should have done because how a film is advertised can offer interesting insights mm. into what the producers think the movie is or how they're trying to portray it to the audience. So they're, they're kind of second-guessing then mm. that the audience will know that, that there is some kind of twist, that there is some yeah. kind of tragedy in the story. But a little like with Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, they're wrong foot the audience by yes. putting what you think is the tragedy in at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Because it's the Wrath of Khan, they have the... The, the training exercise where Spock is killed in the mm. collar. So, oh, that must be the, the bit where Spock dies. Yeah. Oh, right. So when he actually dies at the end, it's a twist. Whereas here, say, oh, they got out of that thing in the desert and they're both fine. So then, when he actually gets killed, yeah, later on, um, yeah, it genuinely comes as a it comes as a shock. I was convinced, as I say, given my knowledge of Australia, is that it's basically stuff that's trying to get slime on you or something. I thought <laughs> when they're camping out in the desert, they build a fire. I just assumed they were going to be attacked by the, the, the gangs of dingoes that I assume roam Australia preying on the vulnerable. Um, or snakes or spiders or whatever the hell else it is. Wallabies, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, koalas <laughs> yeah. rampaging the landscape. Yes, crazed on eucalyptus. Mm. Oh, they, they, they go to a karaoke bar as well. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah. Um, and... Inevitably, the, Austra- you know, the, the local Australian contingent, they're all you know, having a go and having a good fun. And they talk Hero into singing a song. Mm. And he's terrible. Yes. And it's a terrible... It's Danny Boy, I think, isn't it? So it's not a particularly oh, yeah. good song in the first... And he also gets absolutely hammered. Mm. And Sandy has to almost carry him back to his room. But the following morning, he's yeah. immaculately turned out ready to go, first thing, all packed, with, with no explanation or anything. Maybe, for, maybe he just has a raging hangover, but this is the formal mode of behaviour yeah. where you don't let on that kind of uh, that problem. W- or, yeah, or weakness, yeah, weakness, even. yeah. My lack of knowledge of Japanese society is becoming ever more well, evident. The, and this is something else as well that um, I don't know enough about Australia, but there's a, it's not exactly a... It's a theme, I guess... Um, that there's a, there's resentment over the way that the Japanese appear to have come in and have bought up great chunks of Australia. Yes. Um, and there's obviously this sense as well. I mean, in fact, it's expressed at one point, isn't it, where they get some old fisherman who's talking about the fact that in the Second World War they were the enemy, and now they come in, and now there were karaoke bars, and now they you know they have well, to having yeah having failed to dominate the country. Dominates Australia militarily, mm. they are now dominating it economically. Yeah. Even if it's not in, in a hostile sense. Yeah. And there's a sequence, and I can't remember, I know it's when they go to the canteen at one point, and Hero's got the wrong coloured. It's a classic piece of business bureaucracy. He's trying to get a meal in the canteen, but he's got the wrong coloured slip. Oh, yeah, he's and, got the wrong voucher. And so people were. But the, and then suddenly there's. People in the queue behind are making. They're making racist comments. Very racist comments. Yeah, I can't remember the nature of it, but they, you know, and and it's just a very odd moment when the mood suddenly turns a bit ugly, mm. um, and it's that thing as well, I suppose, where you realise that it's the nature of the company that the upper management have to be very nice to the Japanese, but the people that are actually doing the work don't necessarily care yeah. because it doesn't affect them. And Sandy actually is pleading on his behalf and mm. has absolutely no time for this kind of bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah. So that that shows her her stubbornness, her her forthrightness. Yeah. Which again is I mean you don't think of Australia as being a very bureaucratic no. country. No, and again I suppose no you don't really do you. Um and I suppose as well it, it again it outlines that that an abrasive, maybe still not quite, but but that desire to cut through the rub. You know, none of this is important. Just give the guy some food. Just yeah, that's just lack of formality. Look, yeah. he's got the, he's got the thing from the magic. He's a visitor. Give him the meal. Just, yeah, yeah. That, that morning, there's, there's the bit on the phone where he's describing Sandy to his colleague. Oh yes, yeah. Um, they get to the open cast mine and they watch an explosion. And yeah, that's that's where they have a canteen. That's it. Yeah. yeah. 
because they go through the, the, they go through about two different minds at this point, don't they? First, they go through the bit which is what the what I think of as the civil engineering pornography, and then they <laughs> go on to the open cast mine, which is where they see them. And again, he's just like a kid, isn't he? Because this yeah. huge explosion goes off, and he's delighted by it. <laughs> and he's he says, yeah, we we should we should go out and we should go back out more into mm. the desert, look at more into the desert. Yes, yeah. And <laughs> there's the what's what's called a Gilligan cut of Sandy absolutely refusing to drive okay. any further and then driving further out to the desert. Called the what cut or uh, Gilligan, after Gilligan's Island. Oh, like, I see. Well, there's absolutely no way you're getting me in a canoe Yeah, to yeah. Gilligan sitting in a canoe. Yeah, I've heard it referred to as the kind of the bicycle cut, but exactly the same thing. Yes, there's no way I'm riding on a penny farthing, yeah. <laughs> It's funnier if you cut that earlier as possible. So there's absolutely no way then cut. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're and yeah, they're just driving on. It's barely a track. It's just and it's dirt. very it's it's this weird sand where it's very mm. soft and quite deep. And Sandy says that they have to keep driving quite fast, otherwise mm. they'll get bogged down. And then immediately they get bogged yeah, down. <laughs> yeah. And there's. Is it ice cold in Alex, where they're driving across the desert and the the van gets bogged down? Um, that happens in ice cold. In yeah, Alex, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it immediately reminded me of was mm. that whole sequence. I just remember looking at them and think, looking at that the van there, it's stuck in the red sand, and you just think, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble now. And they they make several goes, but they can't get it out, and they wind up having to sleep overnight. Though. Everything goes wrong, doesn't it? The winch burns out. The uh, yeah, I, I liked. The detail of it, mm. of the um, because they've got the winch, but there's nothing to attach it to, so they dig a hole, throw in the spare tire mm. with the end of the winch tied around it, bury it, and use that as an anchor. Well, that's, I thought that, that's, yeah. that's clearly just like something that they do. And again, but it's in you know, I, uh, it's that interesting reversal of male and female roles because again, it's Sandy that's coming up with all these. Oh, we'll do this, we'll do this. Yeah, she's got all the practical knowledge yeah. and she's doing all the hard work. Mm. And he's still talking on his phone. Yes. And I... Am I reading too much into this film? Is there anybody on the end of the phone at that point? Because there's a sequence later on where she tries to use the phone and she can't get a signal. I think that's supposed to be like dramatic irony, that as soon as you actually need to use the phone, it doesn't work. Oh, possibly. Because I just wasn't sure whether at that point he felt so awkward that he would rather sit there and pretend to be talking on his phone than be having a conversation. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really wasn't sure. But, um, I, yeah, I, you could be right. I think you can, I think you can read it either way, but yours, yours sounds more plausible, I think. But it's certainly that thing that, yes, she, she then gets the phone. But then he has a line later on where he talks about the fact that he tries to explain away the phone not working by saying that it was his fault that they got into the desert and therefore it was his responsibility to get them out. And, and he does a very good job of it because actually he wakes up to find that he's chopped loads of branches off And he uses trees. them as, for traction as, as, yeah. as, as, he, as he reverses that. So he does, and it's, it's one of the few occasions when he kind of takes a, a dominant role. Um, but I don't know whether he was just saying that line about that she takes that to mean that that's why the phone didn't work, because he had done something to it so that she couldn't call out. I thought. But I wasn't sure whether there was still another layer of deception there, and he he wanted to admit to it being his fault that they got stuck in the desert, but he didn't want to admit that he'd been lying about the phone working. Yeah, I think maybe it's that, because it's it's wanting to save face. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't want to admit that he did anything wrong. Yes. And then he eventually does, so mm. that's breaking down another barrier. Also, when they sleep, when they have to sleep on the desert floor, mm. um, they're sleeping back to back, yes, yeah. facing away from each other. And she she knows all about the desert, of course, because she's worked out there. So she knows that you have to stay with your car. Mm. You oh, yes, um, he wants to walk for help, doesn't he? Wants he? to walk for help. And <laughs> even yeah, I can I can be there in ten hours. Even I know that's a bad idea. It's the desert. Yeah. Um, that. Um, oh, what was the other thing? That, uh, it gets cold. It gets night. very, very yes. Yeah. It gets very, very cold in the desert at night. Um, but she has all the practical knowledge, mm. and it's then that almost like triggers it off in him. Well, how would how does this work? So he comes up with the using little bits mm. of twigs and branches to use for traction under the wheels and gets them out. Yeah, and they 
us cheering. Yeah, and yeah. Think, and then they start singing as they get back onto the main road. Yes, and they both really... And that's the point when they both kind of start bonding and realising they've got things in common. And mm. She corrects his mispronunciation of the word dessert. <laughs> <laughs> and he explains to her what hi means. Yes, that's... It, it seems to basically mean everything. It does seem to, yeah. Because... Yeah. The Japanese language is so complex that depending on the context, depending on the way you pronounce it and the emphasis, it can mean all sorts of things. And to say it also means yes when you mean no. <laughs> yeah. What? Well, yes when you mean no. I. <laughs> and at that point, they. I'm not sure if they fall in love or whether it's just kind of a, it's just a holiday fling. It's. It's somewhere in between, uh, I think. It's so sincere, I mm. think that it feels like it's much more than just a brief romance. Yeah. Um, oh, he also helps her with her cigarettes. Oh, that's because she, right. Because she smokes. Yes. And there's a point where she's she's reaching for the cigarettes and, and lights it while she's driving and yeah. he's not helping her. And then later he gets the cigarette out and holds it to her. Yeah. Um, but that night, after they've got out of the desert, there is a certain amount intimate touching <laughs> um, well, yeah. there is he's as you say he's he's lying in bed and she is just caressing his body yeah yeah and it is that strange is the wrong word to use but from the perspective where I'm looking at it from it seems unusual that that reversal of roles yeah she's the more dominant in the relationship well there is there's usually a a grammar to sex scenes. Like, yeah. You, know, you think of something like from a James, you know, from a Bond film or something, and Bond will be aggressively masculine, and the woman will just lie back and say, "Oh, James," and all that kind mm. of stuff. And this is just completely, absolutely, the opposite yeah. of of what you might expect from that kind of thing. And I think it also cuts before you know as you say it's it's less of a sex scene and more just of a kind of a scene of intimacy because i think it stops before they actually consummate the relationship well not to um <laughs> not to get too graphic not to get too graphic but there there is a moment where she's clearly maneuvering his penis into her vagina yeah i suppose that's true and they do share a little laugh about the how, fact that he's how, wearing how, how silly that is. Yeah, because she, because and as we've said, because he's got to maneuver it through the flies of the, his trousers that yeah. she's wearing. Um, trying to use the medical words there. Yes, make yeah. it seem less keep weird. it keep it keep it clinical. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, having said that, you know, not that there's anything wrong with women taking charge. We did uh, cover Batman Returns recently, which is all about uh, a woman taking charge. <laughs> yes, and, and very much I enjoyed it too. The following, the following one they have breakfast and it's a bit more subdued mm. it's, it's, it's a return to that or, because I, I suppose they've, they've just well they've just not died basically yeah um, so they're both very very happy if, uh, you know they're happy not to be dead who wouldn't be um, and then in the morning I suppose it's that it's just awkward isn't yeah. it it's that realise that they are still on a business trip and she asks if she can go back to his room to get her bra. Yes, that's it, yeah. Um, but the business trip has kind of evaporated now. Yeah. And they basically just, they just, just start driving nice... around. Mm. And like you say, it is, it is like a holiday romance because they're basically now treating the whole thing as being there on a holiday. Yeah. And they just start sightseeing and going on the boat ride with the guy who... Yeah, who well, is... the, the worst tour guide ever. Well, that's the thing, is that he's not... He's suspicious, but he's not openly hostile or no. aggressive or anything. And he's just rambling. He's, the, more than anything, it's just this slightly awkward rambling monologue about yeah. how the Japanese used to be the enemy, and it's that kind of thing. Of thinking, he, I'm not. Com- like he's not comfortable. Yeah, but he's not. He's not going to start anything unpleasant or no. do anything with. And. He's just making conversation. It's yeah. just that, unfortunately, the one, the only thing he can think is a bit like Basil Fawlty with the Germans. The only, <laughs> the only thing he can think to talk about is the Second World War. Yeah. It's like uh, maybe downplay that a little bit these days. Mm. But the the way that Hero and Sandy are together, the way sort of the physically, mm. there is that 
they're now much closer yeah. physically. Like they're sitting next to each other, sort of huddled in yeah. the back of this boat. And you'd think that if that boatman was in any way hostile, he would made he might have brought up, you know, you know, a woman like you with a fellow like him. Oh yeah. That yeah. kind of very nasty undertone. Yeah. And well, it's not just not mentioned. No, no, it's just, it's just a, it, it, that that's kind of taken. Maybe that's what's making the guy feel awkward mm. that he doesn't know what to say. But yeah, I mean, there's much more of a sense at that point that they're a couple. Yeah. They're no longer two people that just have to be in each other's company. They are actually a couple. Mm. They um, they do sleep together again, mm. it's, and it's, it's just the two of them in bed together, naked, and it's just the, right. That's that's their mode of relationship. Yeah. Now and. Uh, they're off in, off in the landscape the following day. Oh, he asks her to stop smoking. That's it, yes, yeah. They're off in the landscape the following day, and there are some really beautiful shots of just the two of them in this mm. completely desolate, reddish-brown landscape yeah. of just rocks, and it's like, the, like for them, they are the only two people in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a stunning-looking film. That's the other thing it's got going for They're it. cut off from all their obligations. Um, Sandy from her her work, her mum, mm. her, her best friend Jane, who we see a couple of times, Hero from his family. I think he's stopped using his phone at that point as well, hasn't he? Or you never... I think at that point you don't... Well, s- we don't see him use it again. Yeah, yeah. He's, I think a couple of times he still uses it to talk to his friend, oh, yeah. who we never see. Or here, because we never, we, we never, the mm. film's sight never leaves Australia. No. And we never really leave, apart from the couple of scenes where Hero is introduced on his own. Mm. It's Sandy is in pretty much every scene. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they're by a little oasis and they're talking, and she says that she's going to share an Australian custom, which I think made me think, what exactly are we going <laughs> yeah, to do? Yeah, that's nice. uh, um, But it's uh, last one is a rotten egg, and yep. she runs off and jumps into the water. And Hero runs around another side of the water by a tree and jumps in before Sandy can stop him. And then his body floats to the surface and yeah. he's already dead. It's just horrible. And it's, I... it's so fast. And it's, it's, you're given no time to process it. He's not given any last words or any last, anything like that. We don't get a last close-up. He's just running around at the back of the shot. It's very brutal. Mm. And it's, um, it's, a, it's that way that an event can just turn on its head in a second you can just go from happy to utterly tragic um, it's, there's a very very good line in Rod, uh, Roger Ebert's review where he talks about the fact that this should have just been a a business trip romance that they both would have started it, they would have got to the end of his business trip and he would have gone away and they, she might have thought back on it occasionally but that's all it is but the moment he dies it suddenly invests the relationship with all this weight that it never had and that it shouldn't have had. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a good review, actually. I can, can recommend it. I've, Roger Ebert's occasionally been a bit of a nemesis of this podcast, what with his unfavourable comments about the Medusa touch and things, but he's, he's spot on with this one. He's a very good writer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even when he was wrong, he was fun to read. Mm. Like when he said that Knowing was the best film of the year, of whatever year it came out. Serious, the Nicolas Cage. Yeah. The wow. The Nicolas Cage terrible movie. I'm genuinely Nicolas Cage in terrible movie shot. Well, I guess yeah. <laughs> uh, that's I'm fascinated. I mean, I remember seeing the posters for that film on the underground, and it had some tag- it had a tagline along the lines of "What happens when the numbers run out?" And I just remember looking at it, thinking, well. But numbers are part of an infinite set by definition they can't. Which I don't think was the mood that the poster was trying to evoke. But yeah, wow, I'm amazed that he liked knowing. Oh well, yeah. Stop clock and all that. Yeah. Well, he was. I think it's because he uh, he previously been very positive about Dark City. Oh, okay. One of uh, Alex Proyas's previous films. And Dark City is very very good. Um, it's the it's the Matrix, but without the fighting. Hmm. But with uh, Kiefer Sutherland doing an impression of his father. Okay, but I, I suppose that's true. If you go into a film with good memories of the director's previous, well, yeah, yeah, he may have just been carried along on goodwill. Speaking of goodwill, um, I Robot with Goodwill Smith, which is also is that the same director? Alex Price again. 
Wow. Well, maybe and by the gods of Egypt. <laughs> well, maybe by that point he just, you know, the guy, the guy's made Dark City. <laughs> he's, I think he stopped caring. He, well, he got yeah. very upset about the, the bad reviews for uh, Gods of Egypt. Was he, he was vocally very angry about critics sabotaging his work. Oh yes, it was the critics. The sabotage. the critics who didn't like it that yeah. made no one go and see it, which mm. is why all the Transformers movies have been horrible failures at the box office. Yes. Um, the aftermath of Hero's death, the immediate aftermath, it's just Sandy on her own, and there's no dialogue, mm. and she's she's trying to deal with the horrible emotional yeah. fallout and the practicalities of what you have to do next. And yeah, like we said earlier, it's really brutal. Yeah, and this, I mean, Tony Collette is wonderful all the way through the movie. Mm. Oh yeah, the first half slash two thirds where. She goes from being sort of tough and abrasive and not taking the nonsense from anyone, and then not not softening, but finding other levels to herself mm. in her relationship with Hero. She's she's a fully rounded character, and then this happens, and then there's just a not whole other yeah. area that most films. I mean, how many films suddenly have this oh, instance yeah. where, oh, suddenly what, the main character dies? Yeah. And then the other main character has to deal with it. And then you find out all about how that person responds and behaves in this horrible situation. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's um, what makes it so grim is that it's done in almost forensic detail. As you say, there's a sense that the sequence of her trying to get Hera's body back in the car, it's not one unbroken shot, but it feels like you're just watching what she did for the next 20 minutes. And it's not that long, but it just seems to go on forever. And then she drives back to the town. And there's a there's a nice little sequence where she tries to get some guy's attention in a pub. Yeah. And she's obviously upset. She's trying to... She's doing a good job of keeping it under yeah. control. But there's that the barman's toys one of his patrons. And yeah. he says, oh yeah, I'll be with you in a minute. Yeah, and it's a really nice it's a really nice illustration of the way that people can be horribly thoughtless and mean without even being aware that they're doing it. Yeah, yeah, so that's a nice little sequence. She finally tracks down the town's undertaker, doesn't she? <laughs> I think yeah, by asking a guy at the petrol station. Yeah, she meets um Jimmy Smithers. That's it. I think his name is. Um also the other thing is that she's um she leaves an answer phone message for Jane and washes Hero's body oh, that's right, yeah. and dresses him again mm. to try and cover up what they've been doing, yeah. obviously. And she winds up driving through the whole night as well. Yeah. That's it. And it's not clear whether... I think she stops at the town and has the encounter with the barman mm. and leaves the phone message and then, not knowing what to do, just keeps driving. And yeah. there's, again, this horrible... You're driving with, with the, the corpse the, of your former lover in the yeah. yeah, and you don't know what to do. Yeah, exactly. And eventually, she she asks in a town and finds Jimmy Smithers, and she asks him what to do if you have a dead body. And he, you can see slowly he's twigging what's happened, mm. and he's just being very calm, explaining, "Well, you need to uh, need to get a doctor's certificate and uh, and." It's like he's he wants to be nice, but he doesn't really understand what's going on or how to react. No, that's right. He just knows here is someone who is clearly in need of help. Yeah, right now. And there's that sense that that, and I, I suppose it's that relief as well that other people start to take over. You know, it's yeah. that thing. It's like the police turn up or something, and you think, oh, thank God, now I don't have to be the responsible adult. Yeah. Yeah. Except the problem is that. They now have to. She now has to explain just what they've been doing. Mm. Why, when they just drove off into the desert, and then three days later he's dead. Yeah. And she goes back to work, and she just can't explain it yeah. because she'll get into an awful lot of trouble, and so will Hero, and mm. it will destroy Hero's family. So and she's it, just got to keep it all bottled up. And again, it's that thing that Roger Ebert talked about the 
putting weight on something that's too fragile. You know, their, their relationship, for what it's worth, is just too fragile to support all this sudden weight of responsibility that's put on it. Because yeah. she can't tell anyone what was going on. She can't. And she's living in terror of being caught. There's one particular point when she's asking what's happened to all Hero's stuff. And they, oh, we just gave it to, they pass it on to her. And she's frantic because this includes rolls of film. Yeah. And I don't know, presumably at that point, she's worried about some of the photos that have been taken. Yeah. She does wind up, um, I think, confessing all to her mother. Yes, yeah. Um, who is sympathetic. And when she actually arrives back, finally arrives back home, Jane meets her at the airport. And that was sort of nice because they've, they only have like one little scene at the beginning and mm. you get the impression that maybe they're not that close. Yeah. But it's the same with the mother as well. It's interesting where you have these characters that come in at one end of the film and the other because the mum at the start is just this slightly weird woman who's obsessed with sticking obituaries of everybody she's known in a book. Yeah. Um, but then she comes in at the other end of the film and suddenly the character seems a bit more, a bit less quirky, a bit more round. I don't quite know how to describe it, but more like a real person, basically, as yeah. if the weight of this death has suddenly given her character some more definition. And Sandy feels like she's regressing in age a bit because she, mm. she's in tears a lot of the time and she just stops off to her room yeah. as well. It's, it's, good. it's just, it's just, my heart went out to her. Yeah, it's it, was, it was, it's really brutal to watch. It is. We're both proper big tough men. And I cried. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm quite happy. This film made me think of death. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's it's funny. It's that thing. It does kind of. It did kind of make me remember back the death of sort of various grands and things like that. It put me in a bit of a maudlin mood for. Oh. Ah, it's fine. I had a pizza. I got over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's all right then. Yeah. And there's also a meeting um, where. Hero's widow mm. has come along, and Sandy walks up to her very slowly and can only say sorry. Yeah, yeah. And then later, um, at the viewing of the body, she wants to go in. I she think, but she get... never quite gets up the courage, does she? Yeah, I, I, the, I think the impression is that she's not, not not welcome, but it's not the dumb thing. Yeah. Yeah, she's worried that it will be inappropriate. And I guess as well, she's also still terrified that in some way they're going to discover the nature of the relationship and there will be a blazing row. And it's never... I think the wife suspects... I mean, particularly from... Just from... And in the end, the pictures are... But they look like holiday snaps, don't they? There's, there's, I think the last picture that was taken of them is literally taken minutes before Hero dies, isn't it? And yeah. they're standing there and they've, they've used the timer and he's got, they've got their arms around each other's shoulders. Yeah. So it could still just be a picture of two people having fun. You know, it's, not necessary, it's not the formal sort of photo that he was taking at the start. Yeah. But it could just be the photo of somebody that's relaxed and having a nice time. It's not necessarily any hint of the relationship in there. Um, but I think she, yeah, I think she's got a pretty good idea that something happened. But she's kind of too nice to say anything. She's sympathetic. Yeah. I think because she's able, I think, to read in Sandy mm. that whatever has happened has devastated her. Yeah. And it would be cruel to be other than at least yeah. civil. I kind of kept waiting. I was a little bit nervous because at this point I, my impression was that the film hadn't put a foot wrong and I kept worrying that there was going to be some kind of horrible EastEnders-style confrontation. Um, and it was almost a relief when that didn't mm. happen and everybody just carried on being very polite and not saying anything to each other. Well, that's, that's the thing, that it's, it's almost like the, the Japanese cultural values have, mm. have taken root by everyone becoming formal and polite yeah. and all that emotion and feeling that's raging underneath not being allowed to surface. Yeah. Sandy has to keep I don't think together. I think there's one there's only one shot where you see the where you see Hero's widow crying, isn't there? 
think I think it only happens once. Yeah. And that was the bit that kind of killed me. Oh, it's when she's she gets into the taxi mm. after the viewing the body and she's immediately just yeah, crumples yeah. because she doesn't have to hold it together. Exactly, anymore. yeah. And we end with Hero's body being returned to Japan. Yeah. And his widow giving Sandy the photos at the airport. And a letter that he's presumably written at some point that he intended to pass on. And it yeah. must have just been in Yeah. And but again the letter is not the letter's not particularly intimate. It's it's nice and it's chatty and it's more informal than you might expect. Um It's a demonstration of how important yeah, Sandy yeah. was to him. Even and as it's ambiguous in the way he's written it mm. as to whether or not it's friendship or love. Yes. I think it's clearly love. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And that if he could, he would have stayed. Because I, that's, what I, that's what I would like to feel, but... Yeah, I suppose so. I don't know. I, I, I guess it is, it's interesting, the, the things you bring... I, I'm very much more of the feeling that, that he would have... They would have... In a different film, there would have been an awkward goodbye at the airport. Yes. And but, he would have just gone back. But that's because of his obligations. If he, if he didn't... If he wasn't married... Yes. This, oh, yeah, absolutely. He would have found yeah. a way to stay in yeah. Australia with her. Yeah, either that or they would have done a sequel called Japan, uh, Japanese Story 2 Lost in Tokyo. Yeah. That would have been too Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's basically Lost in Translation, though, isn't it? I suppose, it, yeah, it is, actually, yeah, yeah. Although that's about two Americans mm. in Japan rather than an, an American and a Japanese person. The final shot of the movie mm. is the bit that I really remembered from when I first saw it. Yeah. And it's of... Sandy standing at the gate in the airport watching as the plane slowly taxis away and just slowly goes further and further away around the corner of the runway and, and we just hold on that until the plane finally disappears out of the side of the ship mm. and it's a really, really long... Yeah, and it's impeccably plane. timed and it's interesting as well because the film ends at the point when the audience lose sight of Hero's plane. It doesn't, because Sandy can still see the plane taxiing. Yeah. And it, so it doesn't end with him leaving Australia. You don't see him arrive in Australia. You don't see him leaving Australia. But it ends at the point when the viewer loses sight of him. It's probably just a happy... Well, no, it's obviously done deliberately. It's not yeah. just a coincidence, but, you know, it would probably be a bit too poncy for me to read too much into that. But we don't see Sandy's face. No, that's true, we don't. It's just all left for the audience mm. to read in but we know what she's feeling yeah um, I think it's a beautiful film yeah um, I loved it um, the fact that it's obscure is a great shame mm. listener if you haven't watched it by now yeah bad luck <laughs> it's kind of too late it is a shame because it does the the emotion of the film does rely on that moment when this this happy and frivolous moment just so and you don't even know what kills him do you? I, does, I think he presumably kind of hits his head on a rock or something because um, he dives in head he, first he dives in head first and also it's right next to the roots of a tree oh, right. so I, I assume that he would have hit his head on the roots yeah Sandy clearly knows that something's that's, that's yeah. but she tells him not to jump in before yeah, he yeah. does but it's he's already it's too low, moving yeah. so but I assume that it's like a well known yeah. thing that it's just that particular environment that we don't really have in the UK because mm. obviously in the UK we know to stay away from all forms of open water because that's where Donald Pleasance in his monk's robe uh, well, hides yeah. around telling you that he'll kill you. Um, Sorry. Yeah, nobody wants that. No. Um, I can't think of anything that I disagree with about it. I can't no. think of anything that where it ever puts a foot wrong, where there's any slight lapse of judgement everything is perfectly measured that it's such a an incredibly intense love story mm. but it's never that demonstrative no and I think it rests so much on the two lead performances yeah well they they carry they carry 90% of the film yeah. if not more than that yeah yeah and they do it perfectly no I'm I'm struggling to think of a film that's had a comparable emotional impact on me. To be honest, it's a it's a it's a brilliant film, and I'm I'm just surprised it's not I, not better regarded than it is. Well, that's what this podcast. Well, yeah, exactly. And hopefully, if one other person has watched it, 
hopefully turned off at the start of this so mm, that we haven't given yeah. everything away and found it to be as moving as we did and that'll be worthwhile yeah definitely. but it's the podcast is nothing without the great movie and it's a really really great movie thanks to Chris for making the time for this recording Cinema Limbo is now on iTunes with 30 episodes available so please download review and subscribe Podnose is now also on Patreon, so please do pop a penny in the box to help us with our running costs. We're also on Twitter, at cinema underscore limbo, and in person at j underscore j underscore phillips, with two L's. However, until next time, remember, wisdom comes from the desert. Goodbye. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com.